Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiban, and today we are getting ready for Purim 2021. You know, this Purim is very unique. It marks almost a full year on our Jewish calendar since all these COVID lockdowns began. And life as we know it was upended very different than what we had anticipated. Who would have thought that this is where we would be today? Well, this holiday is obviously always marked by celebrating with big gatherings and we don't want any super spreaders. So it is all the more challenging this year to celebrate Purim alone or with a smaller group of friends or family members. Actually, at our shul, Santon Central, you're invited to join us in our car park where we're going to have a Purim Palooza. That's right. We have a comedy show. We have a concert. We have a rap, all in the comfort of your car. You're welcome to get out of your car, but you need to keep socially distanced. Of course, for those who book, we're going to have dinner as well. But if you haven't booked, you can still come and get a Shalach Manas gift for free and join us for the festivities. That's at the Santon Central Shul. Just touch base with myself, Rabbi Ari Kievman, for any more details so we can confirm your space in this evening's Purim Palooza extravaganza. Mincha will start at 5.45 p.m. and the program will commence at 6.45 p.m. with a concert. And we're even going to have some trivia, interactive Kahoot games. So don't miss it out. And of course, this year it is a different type of Purim. But if the past year taught us anything, it's that when there's a will, there's a way. And since God certainly wills it, it's up to us to find that way. So while Purim has all the bells and whistles, we will first focus on the most important things that we discussed in last week's show, which are the four mitzvahs of Purim, which are the most important things that we have to do. And then let's talk about some ways, some ideas of how we could bring the jolly cheer of Purim into our homes. And if you are listening and you're in a nursing, a retirement facility, well, I'll be reading the Megillah tomorrow at multiple locations throughout Johannesburg, and you're most welcome to join me. And of course, if your facility is not having a Purim program, please touch base with me so we could arrange to get Shalach Manas gifts to you and see what we can do. And if you're listening and want to be a volunteer to bring cheer and joy of Purim to others, again, please touch base with me and see how you can join us and participate in doing that, this Purim. So it's not only a time for you to celebrate yourself at home, but to bring that joy to others as well. Well, let's focus first on the four important mitzvahs of Purim. And the good mnemonic to remember it with is the four M's. Each one starts with an M. We're talking about Megillah, Matanat Le'avyonim, Mishlach Manos, and Mishte, the Purim meal. These are the four specific mitzvahs that we absorb observe on Purim. So on Purim tonight, as well as tomorrow, it's a mitzvah to hear the Megillah read aloud from a parchment scroll. Now, if you can safely and legally do so by going to shul or one of the many, many locations throughout Johannesburg where the Megillah is going to be read tonight and tomorrow, then you should certainly make every endeavor to do so if you are healthy enough to get out. If you're healthy to go shopping, you are certainly fit to hear the Megillah. If you have a Megillah of your own and know how to read in Hebrew, then go ahead and do it at home. If you're not that good and not so proficient in the Hebrew, well, my recommendation is that you should read it at your leisure. Do what you can 
And uh, if you can't make it to shul, then read it at home alone. That's the only solution. It is preferable not to have, we're not going to, at least I know that at Chabad, we're not going to be doing any, any, um, broadcasts of the Megillah. And I know that a lot of people due to COVID are looking for options of hearing the Megillah and wondering about the live stream option. I've been hearing a lot of such questions about are there such viable options? Could Chai FM perhaps broadcast the Megillah? Now, while there's nothing wrong with broadcasting the Megillah here on Chai FM or listening to it on a podcast or on your computer phone or whatever else, there are some challenges listening to the Megillah in 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 that type of form where you're listening to it by broadcast. Of course, you know, when microphones came out and when telephones were invented, there was a lot of debate about whether mitzvahs in general have to be done in person, whether it's required to listen in order to fulfill the mitzvah actively or to um, to listen on a broadcast such as a radio or TV or phone or whatever it might be. And today, with a with the benefit of better understanding of how these technologies work, the majority consensus is that we cannot actually fulfill our halachic obligation through a telephone or microphone. And in fact, we found a number of strong letters from various halachic authorities discussing this matter all the way back to the 1940s or so, when this was a matter relating to U.S. soldiers who were not home. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So in short, the Megillah has to be heard directly from the voice of a person and hearing it through a microphone, telephone, or a Zoom, or radio does not suffice. So having said that, what do we do this year? It's COVID. There are many difficulties that people are having, trying to be safe, not going to shul, not going out. If you're going out, then there's no excuse because then it's just nonsense. But if you don't go out and if you're genuinely, sincerely, actually really being careful and not going anywhere and you're afraid of going to shul or for whatever reason can't go to shul, maybe you're in isolation. Well, if you're in quarantine, then you can't go to shul to hear the Megillah. So in that case, it may be possible to hear the Megillah through a door or window if you can arrange a rabbi to come read to you. But if that's not possible, then there is a halacha that if one doesn't have a kosher Megillah, then just read it from a printed Megillah. If you don't have a printed Megillah, read it on your phone or computer. There are so many easy ways to access it today and certainly you should make, you should make whatever effort possible to do so and do it online. Go ahead. There are so many ways that you could actually listen to the Megillah, not listen, but read the Megillah online. And uh, that's number one. The first mitzvah is hear the Megillah or read the Megillah tonight or tomorrow. Second mitzvah we talk about is Matanat Levionim, the importance of giving charity to the poor. If there was ever a time when people were in need for handouts, I think there's no greater time than today. We at Chabad House are distributing food parcels every single week to so many needy people. And you can participate and fulfill the mitzvah of giving charity to at least two people in financial need a Purim. Of course, you can do this in person, but by doing it through an organization such as our Chabad Seniors programs, you know that you'll be reaching so many seniors who are going to be receiving food parcels and gifts on Purim. And you don't even need to leave the comfort of your home to do so. It's so easy. You can do this 
online. You can go to our website and send your donation through to our organization. There's so many other wonderful and worthy organizations in our community, such as the Chev and Yad Aram, and so many others. I don't even have the time to list all the worthy, wonderful organizations in our community who will ensure and guarantee that any money you give to them for the Purim purposes will reach families and individuals who need. So if you can go in person to give tzedakah, wonderful, do so. Otherwise, just rely on an organization like ours to do so for you. The next M is Mishloach Manas. And here too, the mitzvah can be done contact-free. Because the mitzvah is, we want to create camaraderie and friendship amongst people. And that too, I think, deserves a little bit of a discussion about why we try to be generous on Purim. And I think I'm going to be going a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of a digression on what we're talking about, the mitzvahs of Purim. So remind me to get right back on track. But in Purim, we're remembering all the events that are described in the Megillah in the book of Esther, which records the first attempted genocide against the entire Jewish nation. This was Haman's decree to destroy and exterminate all Jews, young and old, men, women, and children, Biyom Echad in one single day. Haman's plan was, thank God, as we know, we have survived and we thrive. It was obviously overturned and in Purim, this is what we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow. That profound reversal of our destined misfortune at the time. Haman and all his co-conspirators at the time and all throughout our history, they were all destroyed well, here we are, Am Yisrael Chai, reinvigorated. And so, as the Purim Megillah itself, we're going to read tonight, we're going to read, La Yehudim, Which means, for the Jewish people, it was light and joy and gladness. And so, this is our opportunity on Purim. It's our opportunity to thank God, to say, Baruch Hashem, we've survived. And here we are today to tell the story. And so one of the ways of doing this is by giving gifts to our friends. Now we discussed the idea of giving to the poor. And in fact, last week we discussed that this is year-round we give out charity to the poor. What's the emphasis? What's specific about Purim? And the answer very much in short is it's no different than the rest of the year, but it is different because we're doing it with more zeal, with more with more passion and compassion, with more enthusiasm and excitement. That's what's different. We're putting an emphasis on it. But we talked already about the Matana Dav Yonim, the gifts of the poor, and I wanted to think, to share with you for a moment a little insight about the Mishloch Manas, the gifts of food that we're giving to friends. It makes sense that you give to the poor. We've got to help them out with their holiday needs. We understand that if we don't assist them, many people won't be able to celebrate this holiday. And it's important that we make sure that those who are less fortunate than ourselves can celebrate. But what's the idea behind, what's so unique about this mitzvah of giving gifts on Purim to our friends, Mishlach Manas? And here's a beautiful answer from Rabbi Shlomo Halevi Alkabetz, the author of L'Chadodi. And he explains this idea in such a beautiful way, it gets to the heart of Purim. We all know that Haman... The, the, the ultimate anti-Semite tried to destroy us. But how was Haman able to so endanger the future of the Jewish people? And actually, 
We see it in the words that Haman used to make his case. The genocide against the Jews was practical. What did he tell Ahasuerus reading in the Megillah? There's this one nation that's Mephuzer, Mephorah, Ben Amim, that is scattered and divided amongst your people. Now, simply understood, he's talking about the Jewish people that were different and were scattered amongst the nations. But there's another way of understanding what Mephuzer or Mephorah, scattered and divided means. And that is that instead of being a unified nation, loving one another, caring for each other, the Jews were scattered, were fragmented, were farribled. Haman was pointing out the vulnerability of the Jewish people. What is it that made us vulnerable to Haman's attack? It was that internal strife. The fights, the faribles, people turning against one another. That when we were divided in our hearts, we were fragmented and broken. And this division amongst Jews is what created the possibility for Haman's attack against us. And ironically, it was Haman's decree to slay the Jews that ultimately brought them together, that rekindled their sense of peoplehood. Remember, what was Esther's first instruction to Mordechai when Mordechai said to her, you have to help save the Jewish people. And in fact, he, he gives a veiled threat and says, if you don't do it, then then salvation will come to the Jews from another place. And ultimately she stands up to the test. She risks her life at the moment. And she says to Mordechai, I need your help too. Go gather all the Jews. She tells them to bring all the Jewish people together to pray, to fast, to defend themselves. And in the end, with a couple of miracles thrown in, Haman was defeated. The only way to defeat the Hamans of history is to create that love and friendship amongst ourselves. When there are divisions in our community, in our families, then of course our enemies could, God forbid, attack us. If we stand united together, nobody can prevail. United we stand, divided we fall. And that's what Rabbi Shlomo Alevi Alkabetz, the author of the Chaudari, tells us that's the reason why we do Mishlach Manas, why we're sending gifts to each other on Purim. Because we want to foster feelings of closeness, of care, of love, of camaraderie, of friendship, to strengthen that mitzvah, to love your fellow, your neighbor as yourself. But this, of course, leads us to another question. This mitzvah is not only at the heart of the Purim story. Isn't it According to Rabbi Akiva, Zeklal Gadda Torah, the most important principle of the entire Torah. We say every morning before our prayers, Harenu Mekabal Lelai Mitzvah say in the Chabad tradition, we accept upon ourselves the positive command, to love my neighbor, my fellow as myself. Why is it that we focus, why the emphasis on your neighbor, on your fellow? And for the night, your neighbors, you don't have to love them? How far does neighbor go? Are we talking the house immediately next to yours? What about the guy halfway down the block? You know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where our homes are attached to each other. We have a lot more neighbors. Maybe here where people live in acre-sized homes. You know, what's the definition of your neighbor? Is he your neighbor? You don't have to love him as yourself, do you? What's the story? But one answer that I've heard it's quite profound, and I think, although it's simple, 
I think it really tells us and explains to us what is going on here. You ever notice that many people are moved to tears by things that happen to fictional characters in movies and novels? We cry, we get choked up with emotion when, when the hero or our favorite character experiences difficulty. Yet when the same thing happens to people that we know, do we react the same way? Do we have the same feelings? Your friend tells you they're breaking up their relationship. Say, oh no, just stop hucking at China, get over it, move on. But in the movie, somehow we start weeping and crying. Same thing with happy events. When the hero or heroine is successful, fall in love, oh, we're inspired, we're excited. What happens when it happens to our neighbor? Yawn. The truth is that it's easy to be stirred to emotion for a stranger, but it's so much harder to have that empathy for those who are close to us. It's much harder to have love for your neighbor. What about for your sibling, for your family? They're real human beings. They're the people you interact with on every day. But somehow their mishigas drives us nuts. So to love humanity and the fictional characters and movies, that's easy. Sure, I could love people I've never met. And we'll never meet. Why not? The only words fictional characters ever say have been very carefully written, scripted, crafted for them by scriptwriters in Hollywood to make sure that they always sound good and perfect. And those actors, they all have assistants, putting makeup on them, making sure they always look beautiful, even right before getting killed. There's always an award-winning soundtrack playing in the background wherever they are. But my friends, my loved ones, there's nothing fictional about them. They're the real thing. And real people are not perfect, I'm sorry. Someone once said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. So the Torah tells us, don't love humanity. Just love your neighbor. Love the person you see often. Work on loving the friends whose faults, whose idiosyncrasies you know very well. The truth is, if we all love our neighbors, then all of humanity will be loved. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov really hit it, the nail on its head. He said, just as we love ourselves, despite the faults that we know we have, so should we love our fellow despite the faults we see in them. Everyone has their shortcomings. It's part of human nature. So the Megillah tells us, how do we celebrate Purim? Matana Slavyonim, of course, look after the poor. But we also talk about, we also talk about this mitzvah of Mishlach Manas Ish Lereyu. To send gifts. Lereyu, to your friend, to your neighbor. It's the same word as we have to Lereyacha. To love your neighbor. The goal is to create love and unity in our community. Mishlach Manas brings peace, harmony, camaraderie, friendship to what's sometimes a fractured community. And I think we all need this opportunity to make men's whatever we could do. Let's do the mitzvah of mishlach manos to the best of our ability to create that friendship, that love in the community that we all need. And we'll be back in a moment and talk about the next mitzvah, which this year gets a little bit more complicated than usual. And that is the fourth M, the meal, the mishta. The poor meal. We'll be back in a moment.
Hi FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul Radio 101.9. Hi FM, I'm Rabbi Arikiva, and today we're talking about getting ready for Purim. Tonight is Purim, and we all need to be ready. So we talked about the first three M's. You need to hear the Megillah or read it yourself. You need to give Matanat Levyanam gifts to the poor, to those who are less fortunate. And then we spoke about the importance of Matanat Levyanam, of fostering friendship, camaraderie, by sending gifts to your friends. And now, now we'll talk about the fourth mitzvah of Purim, which is Mishta, to have a meal. Now, this is a very important and ordinary year. We sit down, you know, whoever's in your pod or yourself to a nicely set table and enjoy a Purim feast fit for royalty. Now, ordinarily at our Chabad center, our Santan Central Shul, we usually have a glamorous, grand Purim feast. But this year, we are giving out Purim boxes for people to enjoy food to go. That's what we're doing. And we'll be doing that both at night and day. But there's a lot more to take into consideration considering that this year Purim is on Friday. Tomorrow's Friday, right? And things are a little bit different from usual. Ideally, we don't want to eat a full meal too close to Shabbos. We want to make sure that when Shabbos comes, we have a hearty appetite, that we can enjoy our Shabbos meal. So, the best thing to have tomorrow is a big brunch starting before halachic midday. However, and that tomorrow halachic, or even today, halachic midday is at 12.20 or at Mincha Gadala's 12.52. So the point is you want to have it sometime tomorrow before midday. However, not however, I guess uh, considering that it's Friday, there's a lot to take into consideration because this isn't something that happens very usual. I do recall some previous perms that happened on Fridays. So you have to plan in order to fulfill the mitzvahs properly in the proper time and to be ready for Shabbos on time. So now, the Megillah we're going to be reading in the morning. There are many Megillah readings throughout the day. There will be many, many Megillah readings throughout Johannesburg available at different locations. And you can go to any of those locations to hear the Megillah, to read the Megillah, to, uh, to listen to the reading of the Megillah. And I, I recommend and encourage you to, to do so, so that you can actually fulfill that important mitzvah. But the meal, there are different options. And the best option is to eat your meal early in the day. If you cannot eat it early on in the day, then your next option will be to paris mappa umakadish, which is a little bit complicated, which is the idea that you're going to have it very close to your Shabbos meal and sort of merge it into your Shabbos meal. So I'm not going to go into the complexities of that, but that is certainly an option and speak with your personal rabbi on how to go about doing that. Other things that we like to do in Purim aren't necessarily the mitzvah, but certainly a custom, and one of them is the costume. It's a time-honored favorite Purim tradition to masquerade. Kids love to get dressed up, and uh, during this topsy-turvy era, where everything is burned, turned upside down and inside out, Dressing up like a clown or Queen Esther, even if you're going to spend the day alone, doesn't seem so crazy. So go ahead, do it. Enjoy the Purim festivity. 
dig up that old costume from wherever you might have it in whichever closet, order something, it's not too late, you can still do so, you have a couple of hours, still Purim, and get into some fancy dress. This is part of the Purim tradition. There are many reasons given for the why we dress up, and especially wearing our masks on Purim. And, you know, unlike Pesach or Hanukkah, where it's noticeable, the miracle of the festival, the miracle of Purim was disguised in natural events. So, you know, you think about the story. The king wanted his wife to come to a party. She didn't want to come, and so he listened to his advisor and killed her. Then this very same advisor advises that you get a new wife. He wound up with a new wife who happens to be Jewish. Then this evil man wants to kill all the Jewish people. Plots this whole scheme, right? Haman's evil, wicked plan. And then he gets killed by the advice of his wife. Very capricious king who seems to be vacillating left and right and back and forth. Can't make up his mind. Does things in all these different crazy ways. But that's the story in short. The idea is that throughout the story, we see that everything is hidden. Only after the fact, when you look back at the entire story, which actually took place over many years, I think some like 13 years, do we realize all the great miracles that occurred. So the custom of wearing our costumes, fancy dress and Purim, is alluding to the idea that nature, the nature of the story of Purim and nature in general is that it's God who is pulling the strings, but everything is camouflaged. It all looks like it's natural occurrences. The Talmud writes that just as the Jews at the time pretended to be serving other gods to be not committed to their Judaism, God pretended that he was going to destroy us. And in the end, of course, God did not. So one of the commentaries tells us that this is the reason we pretend to be someone else in Purim. We dress up since both the Jews and God's actions were masked by other intentions. So this is another way of demonstrating, illustrating that aspect, that idea. We dress differently on Purim to minimize the embarrassment of the poor who go around collecting charity on this day. It's a day when giving tzedakah to everyone who stretches out their arm. So it's sort of everyone's disguised and you can't tell the difference between the rich and the poor. And there are so many other commemorations such as Mordechai who dressed up in King Ahasuerus' royal garments. And there is there is so much more about the traditions of why we dress up on Purim. And of course, considering that we've all been in masks for the past year, we're certainly used to that by now and uh, certainly could celebrate this festival in the most beautiful ways, realizing that we are celebrating the festival of Purim and, and, uh, and realizing how God's miracles certainly tend to be masked as well and that's uh, another idea. Actually, even the Hamantashen, part of the symbolism of Hamantashen has to do with that as well. Because within the Hamantashen, the, the um, what do you call the filling is, is covered. It's wrapped. So again, it's symbolizing that very same aspect 
that very same idea. What other customs have we got on Purim? Come on, ladies and gentlemen, share with us what you do on Purim. We'd love to hear how you celebrate Purim. There are so many different customs. Many people decorate their homes. Yep, decorate your home, make it look beautiful, get it. Purim dick. So whatever it might take, even if you'll not be having many people over, it's still Purim. So make sure that your home is in the festive Purim mood. What decorations you use is up to you. Whether you go all out or just have a little bit, whether you pick a particular theme, whatever it might be, just make it freilich. Make your Purim special. There's so much to read. Go to our website, chabadsouthafrica.org forward slash Purim, where you can read so many insights and ideas and, and learn all about Purim. This year is a unique Purim. And it's important that we all get into that Purim mode. So go ahead, go on to the ChabadSouthAfrica.org page and read a little bit more about Purim. I'm sure you will find some interesting things such as the myths and misconceptions of Purim that I'll share some with you now before we go. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I am Rabbi Ari Kiebman. And today we are getting ready for Purim. And in the remaining time of today's show, we're just going to talk about some of the myths and misconceptions about Purim. And just that could be quite fascinating. So stay tuned, listen in, join us in our discussion right here on Soul to Soul. So here are a few, and you're welcome to go to our website, ChabadSouthAfrica.org forward slash Purim for many, many more. One myth is that Mordechai was Esther's uncle. Now, here we read the story of Purim in the Megillah. We read about how you know the holiday of Purim was established during the Persian exile, after the Jews were saved from Haman. And the main heroes are Esther and the Jewish wife of King Ahasuerosh, and her relative Mordechai. Now, in the Megillah, Esther is only described as Mordechai's cousin. So it says Bas Doda, which means cousin. So I'm not sure where the idea of uncle came from, but cousin, pretty good. Next, another myth is that Haman had a three-cornered hat and pointy ears, which is why we have hamantaschen. Now, I know we eat the hamantaschen, which are three-cornered pastries, and people fill them with uh, poppy seeds. I mean, that's more for the uh, seniors that I interact with. They love, a lot of seniors love poppy seeds, but others like like uh, strawberry preserves and chocolate and custard. There's so many other fillings you can put in these days that make it a lot more interesting. So where does this come from? In Hebrew, it's called Oznehaman, which means Haman ears. And in Yiddish, it's called Haman Tashem, which means Haman pockets. And the legend is that the cookies shaped like Haman's ears or Haman's hat. Where on earth did this come from? And the truth is that 
there is no evidence in any way suggesting that Haman's hat had three corners. Nor is there any credible tradition about his ears. In fact, the pastry's most important feature is not its shape, but the Haman Tashin are not even Haman's name. It is the Man. The Man is the seed filling that's inside. That's called Man. So eating the seeds on Purim actually recalls the devotion of Esther that during her time living as the queen while her husband didn't know she was Jewish and she wanted to keep kosher. How did she do so? Well, the tradition tells us that she ate only, she pretended to be vegetarian. And so the man, which is poppy seeds, is sort of the representative of what she would eat in the king's palace. Others say the word man also relates to the word manot, which is portions, which, you know, we do the, uh, like, shalach manas, right? We send portions to each other as Purim celebrations. So why are the hamantashans called in Hebrew aznei haman, the ears of haman? I guess you could say aznaim, ears, can sometimes refer to non-Purim pastries. So in describing the man pastries, and in fact, some say describing the man which fell from heaven while the Jews were in the desert. So they're describing, they're called Oznayim, with no mention of Haman. Some people refer to cookies in that way as Oznayim, as ears. So that is another interesting, and actually in, in many Eastern European cultures, there are stuffed dumplings that are called little ears. So that's just another interesting little tidbit on that. Here's another myth. Haman's sons were hanging on the gallows that he prepared for Mordechai. Now that's a major focal point in the Megillah is the part where we read about Haman's family tree. Biggest family tree we know, Haman's family tree. We read how Haman and his 10 sons were being strung up on the gallows or the the tree that he prepared for Mordechai. Now, when asked how Haman's sons died, many people would probably answer they were hanged, right? But if you read in the Megillah tonight, just pay attention. In chapter 8 and 9, it tells us that the king ordered Haman to be strung up on the tree that he prepared for Mordechai. This is immediately after the plot was discovered. Actually, that was actually on Pesach. And his son's death took place nearly a year later on the 13th of Adar when they were killed by sword among all other enemies in the city of Shushan. And only after they were dead did the king give permission to have their bodies hanged on the gallows. So Haman's sons were, you could say, I guess you could say they were hung but not hanged. Because hanged is a death penalty. Whereas hung, you hang your your, your laundry is hung. So they were dead already, so they were hung. Very interesting. Another wonderful, interesting myth is you need to give two blessings. What does that mean? One of the four poor mitzvahs that we discussed is Mishloach Manas, which is at least two portions of food. The source for Mishloach Manas is in the Megillah. It says, Mordechai told all the Jews to give Matanas Levyonim, gifts to the poor, and we discussed Mishloach Manas, Ish Lereyehu, each person to give a gift to their friend. 
Now, a common misconception that a lot of people think is that two portions mean two different brachas. So an orange, which is her eight, has to be, you know, combined with something else, like a sweet that's shahakal. Right? But pasta salad, which is mazonas, and a Danish, would be mazonas, which is also mazonas, would be problematic. The halacha actually is that the bracha is not relevant. It's just two ready-to-eat portions of food. doesn't matter if they're both the same bracha. That's okay. So you can actually give people two things that are the same blessing. So that's perfectly fine. And that was another myth busted. Another one is that everyone needs to get drunk. Just get plastered on Purim. That's what lots of people say. Well, my friend, it's true that our sages tell us that a person should drink on Purim to the point that you can't tell the difference between cursed as Haman and blessed as Mordechai. Some take this quite literally and drink so much wine or other liquids, other spirits, that they really lose awareness of their surroundings. And so... I, as one who's involved with Hatzalah and as a community rabbi, want to remind you, my friends, to drink responsibly. That's right. There are many people who are battling addictions out there, and I want to tell you, maintaining your mental and physical health is of utmost importance. Even the smallest sip for some people can be life-threatening. So therefore, our sages tell us that yes, you have to drink on Purim, and drinking, drink according to your ability. If you're planning to drive, don't drink. Not even one little bit. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Another thing that you have to be very careful about is a lot of people think hearing the Megillah once is good enough on Purim. It's important that we know our sages told us to hear the Megillah twice on Purim, both tonight as well as tomorrow. So make sure you're going to hear the Megillah both tonight and tomorrow. A few more myths that we're going to go through. Some say that you do not need to hear Haman's name. Now, we all know that we like to swirl our graggers and make a, a noise, banging, shouting, stomping our feet, making a ruckus when we hear Haman's name. Well, some people are so zealous that they stamp out Haman's name that they don't even hear the name chanted and they think that it's okay if you don't hear. The halacha actually is that we're required to hear every single word of the Megillah. Even those that, even the name of Haman, of an unsavory person. In many communities, actually, they stop for every single time Haman's name is said and make noise. Whether you're going to do that or just in the time that it has an adjective to his name, either way, make sure you hear the entire Megillah. And if you're doing it at home alone, then make sure you read the entire Megillah and don't skip not one word. In fact, you have to read the Megillah in its proper sequence in the right order. We're told whoever reads it out of order did not fulfill the obligation. And out of order doesn't only mean in the sequence of the reading the Megillah. Out of order is also a reference to thinking it's not relevant to our time today. Two more myths before we go. Another myth is, of a beloved Purim custom, is to wear masks and dress in costume, which we love, and many people think of it as Jewish Halloween. Well, we talked about it just before. And the fact of the matter is, the custom to dress up in Purim 
didn't start in the time of the Purim story. It came much later. But it's very, very different than anything relating to Halloween. In fact, Halloween is a much more recent type of holiday. But the difference runs far deeper than that. What do Jewish kids do when they put on their costumes? They're giving out treats. It's not a trick or treat. They're giving treats to friends, giving charity to the poor. Very, very different than what Halloween might be. And our final myth for today is Purim just a minor holiday. People think Hanukkah Purim, it's oftentimes dismissed as just a minor holiday because it doesn't have the same laws as the big ones like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Pesach, Shavuos. Well, my friends, yes, it's like Hanukkah and you're allowed to work and you're allowed to do your ordinary things and use your phone and listen to Chai FM, but it is certainly a major and important festival in the Jewish calendar. Purim has, in fact, such major relevance. If you go to last week's show, we talked about this last week, the idea that Purim is as great as the day as, firstly, Kippurim, it's like, like Yom Kippur, but another similarity, it's even greater in a sense than the day that God gave us the Torah, Shavuos and Mount Sinai. So Purim is a kind of holiday that developed bottom-up, the product of the faith and our prayers That's what it was. Jews living in diaspora, outside of Israel, under a foreign power. They had every reason to abandon their Judaism to save their lives. But they chose to proudly maintain their commitment. Even to the extent of risking her life, as Esther did. Even though it put them squarely in Haman's crosshairs. And so, Purim for us should be a major festival. Celebrating not only the miracles of the Purim holiday, but of many miracles that our Jewish people have experienced throughout our amazing history. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to wish you a wonderful Purim. God bless you and have a great, great holiday. Carpe diem, seize every single moment. Celebrate and enjoy. God bless you. We'll be back next week. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.